What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. It's a privilege to be here. I want to thank Pastor Brian and the leadership for allowing us the privilege of coming and and opening God's Word with you today. I, I had a few messages in mind that the Lord was really guiding me on and specifically one that talked about the foundation of the future coming from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And uh, over the last few days, the Lord has really pointed me in a different direction. And why Psalm 32? I have no idea. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for me. Maybe it's for all of us. But nonetheless, the Word of God is living and active and will not return void. So it doesn't really matter where we turn. I believe God's Word will be beneficial to us this morning. So thank you again for having me. And without delay, let me get into our text this morning. Let's pray and, uh, and, and, and see what God has for us today. Father, we, we love you and we're grateful for the privilege of opening your word. Lord, I humbly come before you pleading that by your grace and by your mercy um, that your word would land on ears that would hear, arts that would be palatable. Lord, nothing I say and of myself is of any value. Certainly not a wonderful preacher, not an amazing preacher, but just a humble servant coming before you today to ask that you guide and direct my words that you would be exalted and glorified. You have given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness in your word. And so, Lord, I pray that it would sanctify us, that it would change us more and more into the image of Christ. Not that it would just be an informational dump, but, God, that it would be a transformational experience, that we might be transformed and renewed in our minds that we might genuinely be changed and leave out of these doors different than what we came. And so, Father, I ask, I plead, I beg, that as I stand at this sacred desk, Lord, that you would be honored, that you would be exalted. And I ask these things in the precious and mighty name of Christ. Amen. It was an extremely cold winter day and a carcass lay floating in the Nigeria River. And up above soars this beautiful bald eagle. And as he looks down below for some easy prey, there floating in that river laid a carcass, for which he descended down upon and thought to himself, man, this is an easy meal. And so he dug his in and began to eat away as he began to float down that cold, icy river. The eagle, not worried about anything, slowly continued to eat, and as he ate, the water began to push towards the great fall. 
until the roar of the falls began to echo through the canyons, the eagle thought to himself, in the last moment I will just flap my wings and, and get out of here, but until then I'll enjoy myself. The eagle waited almost until the moment in which the, the waters began to mist above his head, unknown to him as he had dug in his Massive claws into this carcass, they had become frozen to the animal. The last moment in his desire to fly away, he come to realize that he had waited too long. And over the falls, the eagle and the carcass went. You see, the eagle thought he was okay. The eagle thought he had plenty of time that he could make it at the very last second, but yet he failed. I believe the application for us as the body of Christ, as we come to celebrate 40 years of Wonderful, faithful ministry. As I looked down at the floor today, I thought of all of the footsteps that have taken place over the years. How many people have come and gone? How many now in the kingdom of God in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ? How long shall we wait? Because the reality is, if we are not careful, we... My friends, the church will be like the eagle who will hold on until it's too late. One of the greatest threats, I believe, that faces the church today isn't many what we think. It isn't the translations of your Bible. It isn't the genre of theologically sound worship music. It isn't even necessarily the decline of our culture. I believe one of the greatest threats of the church today is an unwillingness to repent of sin. It is a willingness to hold on to sin. And in the book of Romans chapter 3 verses 23, Paul says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in Romans 3.10, it suggests there is none righteous, no, not one. Then it is not illogical to think that there is a possibility that we might have a falling into sin ourselves at some point in our journey through this life. The question is, what will we do when it does occur? It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And if you are not convinced of that yet, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 reminds us, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And so what are we to do when we sin? Well, I would like to suggest this morning that you rush towards repentance, that you fall at the feet of the Savior, that you don't allow the pride of life to hold you back, but rather 
that you rush towards confession of that sin unto the one who forgives that sin. Well, it sounds like you have your Bibles there to Psalm chapter 32. Let's begin. I'll read starting in verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord and putteth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity I hid not. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way in which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord... Yahweh, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Three things that I would like for us to consider today as we walk through this text. Number one, I want you to observe the justified or blessed. Number two, the repentant are restored. And number three, the redeemed are reminded. Let's consider the justified or blessed. Who in here does not like to be blessed? I think each one of us would agree that we all like to be blessed. And sometimes we like to be a blessing to others. And so what advice does David have to give to anyone that wants to receive blessing and to be blessed? Well, he begins in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord and putteth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. David here suggests that if you want to be blessed, listen, then you must be forgiven. He says it three different ways, really. He says you must be either forgiven, your sins must be either covered, or, or, or that there is no iniquity that has been imputed into your life. But remember those that want to be forgiven, they must be repentant. 
they must be justified. They must be declared right before God. Because here's the reality. You and me are all alike in the fact that we stand before God. Born into iniquity, Psalm 51.5 reminds us. In needing of saving. But remember, those that are repentant, they are the ones that are justified. And the ones that are justified, they are the ones that are blessed. And if you want to be blessed, then you must be justified. And if you want to desire to be justified, then my friends, you must be repentant. You must turn to the Lord and confess the sins of our lives. And that's why he says in Acts 7, Three, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. David in writing this psalm does really an amazing job of communication because any good preacher, any good communicator will repeat himself several different ways to make his point clear. Notice the two sets of three in ideas that are repeated to make sure that his point is clearly seen. David proposes that one is blessed when they are forgiven, and the question becomes, from given from what? Well, he names three different things. David says transgressions, sins, and iniquity. But he also states three other repeated terms in regards to forgiveness. When he says forgiven covered and then put it not three of the words used here do not indicate the idea of three kinds of distinct sins rather it's because they are the synonyms uh, uh, they overlap one another and david declares that forgiveness of sin is whatever kind it may be against god whether that sin be against God or against your brother and sister in Christ or even against the world who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it be sins that are great or sins that are small. Whether sins that are intentional or unintentional. Or whether sins of omission or sins of commission. It is all to be found by God. There are so these words powerfully placed. And when we try to understand each one in their framework, I believe it creates a, 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 a beautiful opportunity for gospel to be preached. David begins with the fact that one is, the blessed one is the person whose transgressions are forgiven. The first word here translated as transgression, transgressions points to an offense against God's law. Which we have all done. This is what David considers transgressions. It's the one whose offense against God is forgiven or you could say carried away. He is the one that is blessed. The second word that David uses here is sin. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. The word here, I believe, is chosen intentionally 
And it's, it's what we read in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Old Testament is hamartia. It's an archery term. It simply means to have missed the mark. It, my objective as an archer is to draw back my bow and hit the bullseye. And the word simply means you have sinned, you have missed the bullseye. And every single one of us, in the sound of my voice this morning and years to come or however long it is, we've all missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. The third word that David uses is is to cover his basis, is the word iniquity which simply means a, a crooked or a wrong act of association with a conscience and intentional wrongdoing. I, I, I put down here in my notes, dumb on purpose. And I, I, we say amen and we laugh, but isn't that really true? Sometimes we're just, we're just sinful on purpose. We, we know that which we are not supposed to do, and yet we do the very things we don't want to do. And the reality is David covers all sin here. Uh, not just three different sins, but all. And interestingly, if you look at each aspect of sin that David has brought to light, has his own special remedy, so to speak, or manner of removal. The transgression, we are told, is forgiven, meaning to lift up, to take away. It reminds me of Psalm 103.12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. That is the blessed one. I don't know about you, but I love the idea of being, being blessed that my sins, that, 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 that they have been taken away and, and they are no longer seen by the Lord Jesus Christ because it isn't I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The sin, He says, that is committed in the life of him who is blessed is, the text says, covered, hidden, you could say, which reminds me of the Passover. You could say it's the atonement of Christ. Exodus twelve thirteen says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where ye are. And when I see that the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. And I smite the land of Egypt. When I smite the land of Egypt. This points to Christ. Which suggests that unless you and I, my friends, are covered in the blood of the Lamb, we will not be blessed, but rather cursed. And then he uses the word iniquity, which we are told is inputted not, meaning it's not imputed. It's not uh, credited to our account. For the believer, those that have placed their faith in Christ, the beauty is our sins are forgiven. He has carried them away to the cross. And when Christ died on the cross, He imputed unto you His righteousness. 
So that when God sees you, He sees you deemed perfectly. How good do you got to be to get to heaven, my friends? You have to be absolutely perfect. Well, how is that possible, Pastor? You just said we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because when Christ died on Calvary's cross, He imputed to you His very righteousness as if He had committed your deeds and as if you had just been as perfect as Christ. So when God the Father sees you, He sees you covered. In the blood of the Lamb. He doesn't impute to you that sin. He imputes to you His Son's righteousness for those that would believe. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The intertwining of all three of these truths are, are the complete remission and forgiveness of sin. Blessed is that man. Blessed is that woman whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is he because of the mercy and grace of God through the forgiveness of sins that there is no guile in your spirit. There, there is no seemingly fault. There is no hypocrisy so to speak. This is where repentance has shown to be sincere and real. Many confess sin because they just want to not get caught, so to speak. This suggests there is a real repentance, turning away from that sin. And those that trust in God they will be the blessed ones. David simply says, this is the one that is blessed. The justified before God are the ones that are blessed, the one whom is considered not guilty. And I think that this grants us the occasion to simply ask this question of ourselves today. As I had to ask myself the question, Am I blessed? Are you blessed? And if you are forgiven, your sins are covered, my friends, you are blessed. But if not, then you are not blessed. And you are in need to rush toward repentance. Have you personally placed your faith in Christ? What are you waiting on, my friends? Today is the day of salvation. We're called not to delay, but rather rush toward repentance. And that's what I encourage you to do. We've seen the justified are blessed, but now let's consider, secondly, the repentance are restored. Now this section of the psalm deals with, uh, I perceive, almost like David's testimony. It's a beautiful picture of his life before and his life after and what God has done for him. He starts with who he was and then he moves towards what he did and then he reveals what God has done. In this section you will see the sovereignty of God and you will see the human responsibility of David. Let us notice here who he was 
David was a man that failed to repent of his sins. Is it possible for us as Christians to hold on, to sink our claws, thinking that at some point in the near future we can stop doing what we know to be wrong and, 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 and be in sin as Christians? Of course it is. David was. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he was a sinful man. There is none perfect. But the reality is, is God loves you too much to leave you there. Don't keep your claws in the sins of your life. David was a man in this moment that was unrepentant. And he was silent about his sins, even unto himself, and it all but destroyed him. You know, as I thought about this text, I thought about how many Christians live their lives in sin. Maybe a hidden sin, maybe a private sin. You, you can't see it. Only you know it and God knows it. There's the only two who knows what's happening in our hearts. And then we, we wonder why there's bickering and complaining and fighting among Christians and among the world. And then we are reminded of James chapter 4 verse 1 that says, because of these angers and these wars are because of our pleasures that we hold in our heart we fight we struggle even in our spirit because we have a desire for the things of the world and we haven't committed those to the Lord in confession and repentance but David hears that man and he is all but destroyed he said in verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. As long as David failed to acknowledge his sin, as long as, as he remained silent about it, even though it was the reality that he had sinned significantly, he, he would suffer. His conscience would accuse him. But the sad part was that he kept it in. David wasn't even willing to confess his own sin to himself. He had justified his sin before God in some sick and perverted way. It is very possible here that David is speaking of his situation with Bathsheba. That his hidden and unrepented transgression, his sin, his iniquity of adultery, rape, and murder was continually immersed in the closet of concealment until he heard those words from the prophet Nathan, You, thou art that man. This hiding, this unrepented sin, we are told, brought pain and despair in the life of David. While this psalm in its context doesn't have to be necessarily dealing with David's sin and with Bathsheba and Uriah, we can glean. What we can glean is that we have learned that unconfessed sin is a festering Sore. David said, 
In verse 3, the second part there, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. It rings of this truth we hear in Psalm 31.10. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. David, because of silence about his sin, he's aging. His body is wasting away. And these sins, unconfessed sins, they, they, may, they, they cause him to moan throughout the day. Oh, the sad state of the unrepented persons. The lesson here is one for the lost who have never confessed their sins unto the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is also a lesson A reminder for the redeemed. Keeping quiet about your sin will cost you, my friends. It will cost the church. It will cost you your health. And maybe long enough, if you sink your claws into sin long enough, it could even cost you your life if we are not careful. And thus it is vitally important to learn from people like David who is showing us the results of unconfessed sin. The word confess simply means to say something. To say the same thing. When you confess your sins, you must agree specifically with whomever you have offended or mistreated. Whether God or another human being. So when you lie, you confess that by speaking unto the Lord and saying, God, I told a lie and I'm sorry. Please forgive me for being dishonest. Apologizing, seeking forgiveness. If it is a person that you have sinned against, then you must confess to that person whom heard you tell the lie. Saying something like, I, I, I lied to you. I, I did not tell you the truth. Please, brother, please, sister, forgive me for being dishonest. Or maybe stretching the truth. Or, or telling a little white lie. His pain, his suffering was because he did not confess. He did not repent of his sin. And the effects, we are told, were continual. David said in verse 4, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. The very hand of God was upon him. Giving the idea that that David in his unrepentant sin is, is genuinely facing judgment of God. God is disciplining him. And if you this morning are living in some sin that we have justified in our own minds, that's okay, which is very easy to do in the world we live because the world wants you to come to their side. They want you to follow in their footsteps and to accept the things of the culture. And if we are not careful, we will do that. We will do it to try to draw draw numbers, to draw crowds, to be relevant, to be cool, to be hip, whatever the case may be. But if you are living in unrepented and unconfessed sins and there isn't the hand of God heavy upon you, that should worry you, brothers and sisters. 
Hebrews 12, 8 says, But ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye illegitimate children and not sons. It uses another word there, but I just transliterated it. No, the hand of God will be upon you and you will feel the side effects of that hidden sin. And the side effects are devastating, not only to us as believers, but to the, the local body of Christ. John, 1 John 1, 3-7 reminds us that if we harbor unrepentant sin in our heart, it says you will walk in darkness. Proverbs 28, 13 says you will not prosper spiritually. Psalm 32, what we are reading this morning, the first uh, verses 3 and 4 remind us that we'll experience physical, emotional, and psychological distress. Psalm 66, 18, you will not receive an open access to God in prayer. Closed off. You think that will affect the church? Amen, it will. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, you, you will be unable to genuinely worship God. Th think about that for a moment. To, to come into the house of the Lord, to worship the Lord with unconfessed sins and unrepented hearts is to come in and do nothing because if that is you, then there is no way you can worship God. The call is to rush toward repentance. Matthew 5, you will be unable to enjoy close fellowship with people you have affected. And in Hebrew 12, 5 to 11, you will experience parental discipline of God. And if you do not get disciplined by the Lord, then the scripture says you are illegitimate children. Do you see the threat? for the Christian's life, for the function and purpose of the church to glorify God. If there be unrepented sin in the life of the believer. Now here's the deal. I'm not suggesting there is here today among us. But the warning still remains. Because it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish matters how you finish. I mean, just look at all of the faithful kings throughout the Old Testament. I've named my children a couple of them. Asa and Josiah. They, they all start great, but they do not finish well. And while, yes, we, we celebrate, we acknowledge the grace and mercy of God in celebrating 40 years of faithful ministry, praise God, we pray for 40, 50, 80, 100 more years, not really because we want Jesus to come back tomorrow. And if possible today, so I can be quiet and we can go home and be with the Lord. But if we are going to maintain the faithfulness, the faithful ministry, whether it be this church, that church, or any church, we must be men and women who come 
before the throne of grace in repentance of what we say, of what we think, and of what we do, of what we watch with our eyes. We've never lived in a culture that has been more relevant to sin than a culture of cell phones that you can access and break all Ten Commandments right here in a matter of seconds. I think that we need to repent to come back to God. So that was who he was. He, he was silent. He, he was the poster child for what not to be in that moment. And it affected him, his life, and his worship. But now I want us to consider what he did. Given enough time, given the reality of his sin and the effects of his sin, it was time for him to trust the Lord. David said, finally, in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee. <laughs> In my, in my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. It's the place where we need to be. It's an example for which we are to follow. It is a sin to avoid. It is a promise to keep. It is an example to follow. It's really a command to obey and certainly a scripture to memorize. It was that quick, that simple, that turning back to God. It was that repentant heart that saw the sin, admitted the sin, and acknowledged the sin to the only one that could heal his soul, Yahweh. He said, I brought it all <laughs> I didn't hide any of it. It was time to get it all out on the table. And here are those three repeated words again. Sin, iniquity, and transgression. This time he handled it rightly. He understood that unless he wants to be blessed, he must confess all of his sin. He brought it all to the Lord in prayer. He said, I acknowledged, I have not hid, and I confess. There's three different ways of saying the same thing, that he was a man who repented of his sin. It was the public sin, the private sin, and everything in between that he confessed. And when David did, when he, when he trusted in the grace of God, David reveals to us that God forgave him of his sin. I remember who I was. Not that long ago, March 25th, 2001, when I came to faith in Christ, I was that man. Deemed for the cliff. Deemed for eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And I remember that preacher preaching the good news, the gospel of Christ and me being willing to admit my sin to Almighty God. And He gave me in a moment a clean slate. Amen. Here is the real blessing for us today. God will 
and can do the same for you. He can save your marriage. He can save your family. He can do that which you cannot do in a matter of seconds if we will just be faithful in obedience. He can forgive you and restore you. If you will. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.